the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. We have a wolf in these streets today, a (laughs) wonderful Gary Garth. So fasten your seatbelts, buckle up. This is going to be a very wild ride talking about what it took for Gary to go from zero to $100 million (laughs) in just a few years of being in the business realm. So a little bit more about Gary. He is a serial entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of Elevate, author of Zero to 100 Million Sales Blueprint book, and the book Goals and Grit and Greatness Planner. He also leverages his resources as a sales leader and angel investor, helping high potential startups go to market, scale, and become profitable via 360-degree sale and marketing supports. He runs incubator programs, advisory services, and proprietary technology engineered with the purpose of empowering entrepreneurs. He's been featured in Forbes, Success, and many other prominent publications. And as a serial entrepreneur since 2002, he's started and successfully exited not one, not two, but six (laughs) companies, including large outbound sales call centers, radio advertising networks, and an award-winning eight-figure digital marketing agency. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Gary Garth to the stage. Gary, tell us, in your opinion, what's the biggest, most badass professional accomplishment you are most proud of? (laughs) Thanks, first and foremost, for having me on that comprehensive introduction after that introduction it's going through my mind what to highlight what to (laughs) (laughs) my biggest most badass accomplishment a few comes to mind i would say one in particular was when i launched the last company that i sold digital marketing agency i was involved in for for 10 years specifically in the in the initial journey the first couple of years that are very tough i'm originally from denmark europe in case in case somebody wondered about the accent and back in in 2010 the danish government had a program supporting third world countries with aid but not traditionally by giving it to governments sometimes are corrupt in those kind of countries but instead funneling that money through entrepreneurs that were quote unquote successful so if you had a company in denmark plus 20 employees, X amount of revenue, years of establishment, and you worked in tech or some other innovative industries that could create innovation, make a social impact, create jobs, et cetera, you could apply for uh, for an investment subsidy. So long story short, I was there in 2010. And after some, some considerations, I packed my bags with my former partner and traveled to Nicaragua in Central America to target US-based businesses and offer them advertising solutions at a, at high quality with, at affordable rate arbitrage with that arbitrage of a, a lower cost of labor. This is before COVID and a globalized outsourced world, so to speak. But long story short, we, we came there. We, we failed to do like a risk assessment looking at a country in terms of like the political scene and, and the, the unrest that may be or the, the investment risk that may be associated. <laughs> So we were all in and uh, there was election. They were not allowed to monitor the elections that the government. So they just shut down the program for one day to another, including the funding for us. So we were supposed to get upwards a million dollars in funding. We had received like a hundred thousand or so, but we had already committed to a large, large facility 
went all in with all the bells and whistles, assuming we had that budget. So that was very, very tough. And the accomplishment was that I was like, hell no, I'm not going back to Denmark with the tail between my legs and saying that I was a failure because everybody said that, what the heck are you doing? Why are you moving away from Denmark, a first world country and a lot of opportunities? So for nine straight months, me and my partner, we went to the office at midnight, drank like five, six espressos and, and <laughs> called clients in Denmark just to fund the project in Nicaragua. When the employees came in at 9 a.m., we just continued until we basically passed out, got a couple of sleeps of hours. And then after eight, nine months, we went break even and then it scaled. So it was, it was a good, fortunate move because then we went on to grow into hundreds of million dollars, thousands of advertisers, 300 employees uh, awarded Inc. 5,000 four years in a row. So struggling through that adversity and just pulling a double shift for a period of time, I think that was, that's probably something worth highlighting. No, it, def- it definitely is. So that, that's the same agency after, you know, struggling in Nicaragua, having your back against the wall going, what do we do now? That's the same agency that's now generated over eight figures in, uh, yes. in, in sales. Wow. <laughs> that's correct. Yes. <laughs> that, that's very cool. Yeah. So for those who don't know too, uh, Gary Garth is a uh, author of a re- new book called Zero to 100 Million. I had the pleasure of reading some of it. And so some of the questions I had from the book, uh, Gary, you, you mentioned that like when you're in your 20s, you had already figured out how to make millions of dollars a year. And, uh, and it's obviously the title is episode of Wolf of Sales because it definitely reminds me of the Wolf of Wall Street. Tell us more. How the heck did you learn how to make millions of dollars a year and have that tenacity to go after that at such a young age? Yes, yes. So I, I took my first sales job very early in, in my late teens, actually, during a summer vacation. And this is what, 25 years ago. So it was like handheld phones and you were dialing by turning the, the dial and you just had a <laughs> yeah. call list. So that was just dialing hundreds of folks every day without little to zero information, just hitting them up with a, with a pitch we were provided. It was basically, I remember you started, you got a pitch in your hand and then you hit the phone like 30 minutes later. And there was like, you make a hundred dollars before lunch or else you're fired. Kind of. <laughs> we were selling some equivalent to yellow page directory, but of little value. So when you're that position, and it's not that I'm advocating for product or solution like that, but at a very early stage, you learn how to ask the right questions, right? And you learn about the principles of persuasion, how to create, you know, a sense of urgency, scarcity, et cetera. And I think those kind of lessons were something that I, I picked up on and then learned to apply later on in, in my projects. But after a couple of years in, in, in one of those call centers, actually less than, less than two years, I was top seller and I was like, this is run like a Mickey Mouse show. Why, why aren't they doing XYZ? And I saw the bosses, they were not doing anything. So Wait, they, you know, I could, more I, about how you came to that epiphany. Like, how the heck do you go from, not knowing how to make a sale to like, what is it? You broke the matrix and you kind of saw the code and like, did it just happen <laughs> overnight or did you have to read a certain amount of books to like go, oh my gosh, this place that I thought was run so quote unquote magically. Now I'm recognizing there's all these faults and mistakes. Like, how did you get to that point? Yes. Great question. So I was the complete opposite of what you consider a, a great salesperson. I was introverted, shy, not confident. I was born overseas. My Danish back then was not even perfect in my uh, pronunciation, etc. So I'm not what you would categorize a, as a natural born salesperson. As I put in my book, great salespeople are made, not born. 
I think it's more about your attitude and attributes that could be developed. If you're hungry enough, there's all the knowledge in the world that you can seek. And I was definitely hungry. I was money hungry. I wanted to be significant. I was very passionate. Uh, I was very competitive. I have a lot of those attributes that I highlight. So I remember coming in and there was this kid sitting a couple of rows behind me. And, and it was like a few years late, older than me. And I was driving a big Audi and, you know, flashing and all the nice clothes, et cetera. And I was like, what is he staying on the phone? So I basically just modeled the folks and was sitting in listening on their calls a lot. I was the worst on that first team of new sales hires, like didn't sell anything for two weeks. And I don't even know why they kept me around, but then all of a sudden <laughs> it clicked. And then after a period of time, I was like very, you know, I wanted to add value. And I kept coming to my sales manager and the owners, why don't we do this? It would be smart if we could add this product to the equation and this could be beneficial. And customers are asking about that and they didn't give a rat's ass. It was just like, shut up and sell more. And I was like, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to start. So I partnered up with a with one of the sales managers. Another, we were like several sales managers with teams. And then we started our own and that figured out how easy it was. You know, if you get the sales skills, you know how to influence, motivate people and you can put together a, a somewhat decent product, then it's not rocket science to get beyond a million and so forth. So when I was 25, I'd already made a couple of million. I was in a few Danish magazines, et cetera, spent a lot of the money as well. But, uh, but basically it was a, a journey from there on in terms of building companies and, and products and, and solutions and, and learning a lot, everything from direct sales to channel sales, to, to broadcast media, to now digital marketing and tech solutions that I've been working with the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. I love how you talk about that when it comes to sales, that it's a learned skill, you know, just like public speaking, it's, it's a learned skill. And yet, like you didn't, yes, you didn't come out of the womb, like selling your mother on why you should need to drink, <laughs> <laughs> why you need to drink milk or something like you had to learn how, what it takes to sell something. And, and it sounds like learning, not just how to sell, but how to sell a product that sounds like wasn't very good, <laughs> what was extra valuable. And so learn, and I like what you say in your book too, like you never sold the best product, but because you had the best marketing and sales strategies, you were able to stand out the most. And PT Barnum talks about that too. Like you just got to get people in the door essentially. And so tell us more about, you know, what do most people get wrong when it comes to sales? Like why, why do most people struggle with sales so much? Because it's goddamn hard first and foremost, right? <laughs> um, but I think it's because it's not prioritized. I know this from my angel investments. And then after having worked with tens of thousands of companies now in different shape and formats, that very often they, you know, they have great products or they have an amazing team or a groundbreaking new concept. But sales kind of like it's just added to the equation at the end. You know, we'll figure out how to sell it. We'll hire a sales guy and then. They all know how to do it and we'll hit the phone. So we'll do a little bit of marketing and then attack it that way. And, and I think, oh, I, I know that it needs equal prioritization and starts with everything and proper research, like defining your, your ideal customer profile and total addressable market. And they're just detailing it out from there to perfection. So you know exactly what the right message is to the right people at the right time and then building on there. And then, Furthermore, sales is very often treated, I think still nowadays, as they think of like used car salesmen or somebody who's very eloquent and charismatic and so forth. But it's, it's about providing solutions and understanding the pain points of the clients at the end of the day. And to do that, you can basically create a framework, right? I say build a sales plan, a complete sales book where you factor in everything. 
create a replica model that you know, first and foremost, you prove the concept with a few reps and then something that you can then scale subsequently. So it's not coincidental if you're getting sales because you have a certain set of attributes or some, some rep is great at, at doing presentations and another is, 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 has a high activity. They're just cold calling and emailing, et cetera, all day long and building network. It's, it's more like a system that you can automate and replicate with what to say, when to say it how to address certain challenges, how to conduct a, a product demo. I know this because I've recently got involved in several companies and enabled a lot of sales tech and MarTech. And I'm just scratching my head. It's like, what the heck is going on here? It's like these mechanical demos, right? Where they're just basically following a script. It's like monotomes, the same tonality, some prefabricated questions that some SDR asked me about just to set up the call with the account executive. And they're not building upon that but momentum. And I think it boils down to and that's again where I say as my blessing, if you put sales first as a founder, if, if you go out there, you're knocking on doors, doors you're, you're purposely positioning your product solution and you uncover all the objections prospective buyers may have, you re- learn how to, how to frame your solution and product effectively. And then you can replicate and roll it out throughout your company. So there's no silver bullet per se, but you can definitely learn it. I mean, getting to a hundred million definitely sounds like you have a couple of silver bullets, but <laughs> or sure. I guess in your case, a lot of bullets. And so, yeah, it reminds me. I heard another interview from a guy who's also a sales expert. He's like, you know, the thing when it comes to sales, it is kind of like going to the gym. Like, no matter how much you don't want to do it, no matter how tired or unmotivated that you might be that day, you got to get in your reps. You got to get in your reps. It's the only way to keep staying on top of things and improving on things. And so obviously you, you said you were calling like 100 to 200 companies a day or, or something like that. Like, how did you form that mental fortitude and mindset that to keep going after rejection after rejection of selling a crappy product? Like, how does someone build that fortitude to just keep going and calling and build that plan for themselves? I think it boils down to being hungry, being motivated, being very determined. And that's why also I'm focusing on, on attributes. It had, applicants demonstrated in prior competitive sport or school or prior work that they can be disciplined, right? That they're determined, that they're relentless to pursue a goal because that's what it takes, especially in that beginning. Admittedly, I haven't personally done cold calling or prospecting for a large part of my career because I was very fortunate to quickly go in and become a quote-unquote closer, an account executive. So I would always have people providing me leads in different formats, either a cold transfer or inbound inquiry that came or whatever it may be. And that's obviously a, a different process. So I think, which is also what I highlight in my book, if you really want to build a, a business development team, a, a sales development reps, you need to have some like sales career pathing plan in place. You need to have strong onboarding. You need to get them up and hit some momentum because I think it's like two out of three reps doesn't even make it a couple of months, right? I mean, the, the attrition is, is horrible in that, right? So you really want to give them a solid onboarding plan, 90-day onboarding plan. I put a sample in, in, in my book. And then you got to also have the carrot in front of them all the time because nobody can survive prospecting or cold calling to that extent more than, I would say, 12 to 18 months. Then there's got to be a, prog- a career progression after that in order to not burn out. Because even being an account executive, that's, uh, that, that's also challenging as well. So. I never, I never thought about that. So understanding that, yeah, most people, they, it's good to start. Well, most people do start with like the cold ca- calling, generating leads from scratch. Then it's okay to move up to your, you're just a closer. Then you move up to like the manager and the CEO. And that's interesting that you can't expect people to be 
cold callers <laughs> for forever. And also your book too, I know you talk about hiring a sales team. So you know, this podcast speaks to both B2B and B2C owners. Can you give us a sneak peek into how you go about hiring commission-only salespeople? Because it sounds like any company would be like, yeah, I'll hire a commission-only salesperson. I mean, is that difficult to do? Is it easy to do? Tell, tell us more about that. I think it's difficult to hire commission-only. Nowadays, you will get a, a certain kind of rep. I would say like everybody else that has a smart in business, they hire slow, fire fast. If you understand your CAC to LTV radio in terms of you know, how does it cost to acquire a customer and how long would they stay around? What's the profit margin essentially acquiring a customer? You understand your metrics in terms of how many calls or emails do we need in order to get a meeting? How many meetings do we need to get a close? How many of those deals do we cross upsell? What's the lifetime value in that sense? Then you can start better calculating what you can afford to invest in client acquisition. And then I think it's just about putting together a, a compelling package and looking for reps that I like to put them through several tests. You know, some people are so hungry to grow that, especially when hiring and building a sales team, I think it's sometimes, you know, moving slower is actually faster at the end because there's so much, right? There's systems that they have to adapt and learn. There's processes that says your company's value proposition. You need to educate them on all of that, plus your product and solution, and then also the competition. So there's a hell of a learning curve. So really want to pick your winners. And that's why I put so much emphasis on the learning part. But then I would say, if you invest in the right people and you have that right onboarding plan and a right coaching framework, then you structure the commission structure so it's financially attractive, then you have a a good standing chance of of finding hires. The other thing is also not just going out like many entrepreneurs companies do and say, okay, we are software as a service solution. We're going to go out and look at our our competing companies, sales reps, go to LinkedIn and solicit all of them. They're not going to transition the job unless you're going to offer them a bigger comp package. So again, I'm, I'm more about trying to find the diamonds in the rough, the, the talents that need to be developed and then invest heavily on a, a you know, a, a training framework, a, a sales plan, build everything out so that you can put people in there and generate sales superstars. That's how you can make it affordable. Obviously also tied up with that. And that's why it's difficult. There's no silver bullet, but it's also. I just see it so often. It's like sometimes I come in and work with a company and the pricing strategy is not just not in place. You know, they have discounted, they devalued the solution to such an extent that there's not enough money to invest in customer acquisition or marketing or lead generation. So increase your pricing, make sure there's enough margin so you can pay attractive commissions and then build a framework that enables folks to sell. Then you're pretty much there. I love that. Just finding the diamonds in the rough, hire slow, fire fast, understanding it is difficult to hire commission-only people, but that's okay because if you can bring on the right people, then it's a no-brainer to make that happen. And and I, I like what you said too, but it doesn't have to be commission-only, you can provide other incentives. I'm curious too, uh, so people have talked about your legendary sales talks of how you motivate your sales <laughs> teams. You go in, get people pumped up. There's a great story from the book where a guy takes his wedding ring and says, I'm not married to my wife anymore. I'm married to money. (laughs) So obviously getting people to react as uh, viscerally as that is is no understatement. And so for people tuning into the show today, can you give us a sample of one of those sales talks? Let's say someone's, it's early morning, it's 8 a.m. They know they have to make a bunch of sales today to grow their business, feed their family, make their message an impact. They're feeling down. And they want to hear an inspirational sales talk from Gary. What, what would that sound like? <laughs> so, 
Yeah, no, it, it is true. And I think that's an important element of, of sales management of being a business owner, founder. It's getting your, your troops rallied up and ready to go to war. You also got to lead by example. So I've always been one to pick up the phone as one of the first people just to demonstrate, okay, let's get to action. You know, even if, you know, it's just a follow up, whatever, just to say, now we, now we're smiling and dialing. Let's get to business and make some money. But it starts with the preparation, right? So like, I love to read a lot of books. I have a high school education. So I've read every single sales book. I think a business book I could get my hands on. So just reading a lot, I always got inspired coming into the office next day with some quotes or some learning, some statistics, some, some, something that people has to picked up because, because they didn't have that same habit. And then furthermore, I always get up early, typically 5 a.m., hit the gym before I come to the office. So I have an advantage. I've, I've been up. I'm psyched up. I, in my mind, I've already prepared a little bit what I want to say. I'm motivated. I always watch motivational videos while I'm on, on the treadmill. So I come in, I'm fired up. It's not like I just ate my croissant and rolled out of bed and then came to the office. So I get people fired up in that way because I'm in the right state, right? Which is half, half of the battle. But then I think as a leader, and this is something you have to do on one-on-ones, but also in a setting, it's about communicating the vision clearly. Like, where are we? Where are we going to go? You want to be part of this journey? Now the train is, the train is leaving. Get on, get on board. Here's what's expected. Communicate that daily, effectively. So have like a, like a book I read recently was like vivid vision. How do you explain it in detail so that everybody gets encouraged and motivated about your purpose, your big, hairy, audacious goals, et cetera. And then it's understanding your folks. So like that's, for instance, why one of the reasons why I also wrote out the goals, grid and grid this planner is because we use it actually in a setting here at my company. Every, Single morning when we do a, a huddle, I, I do a quick round and say, what's, what's your top priorities for this week? What's the number one priority for the, today? And then I challenge the folks, how does that, how does that align with your quarterly target or, or your main? What's your 10 year vision? Where you want to be? You know, all that that is documented there to try to establish a connection with your activity. Why the hell am I here today? What am I trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish as a company? But how can that benefit me, the employee sitting there about to, conduct a lot of tedious tasks, challenging tasks, uh, have done it day in and day out for many times, that could be that extra little catalyst that can get you through and sometimes over the hump to become successful, but then you feed on that success. So for me, setting the stage in the morning or at the end of the day, if it's been a bad day to encourage people to come back with uh, some learnings or some takeaways, I think it is absolutely key. That scenario that you're referring to in the book, uh, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was probably a little bit where, <laughs> I mean, to the extreme of getting somebody to throw the, the wedding band out of the window. And <laughs> that's not something I want to encourage. Or proud to say, but, <laughs> no, it's, you know, uh, it was at least demonstrating the, the peak that you could reach as for the hype in such a meeting and get everybody rallied up in terms of let's go, let's go get, get some results, right? No, especially after watching Wolf of Wall Street, like I can just imagine uh, that being a similar scenario to you. you just get people pumped up so much. They just do the craziest things. And I also like in the book too, how you talk about how that action actually led to the next company you got involved in. And so it's, it's funny how serendipity yeah. uh, works sometimes. Um, <laughs> and, and so when it comes to giving motivational sales presentations, well, first, how long have you been getting up at 5 a.m. for? Has that been going on since you were 20 years old as well? <laughs> no, not since my 20s, I, but it, okay. it came after I got older and my energy levels depleted, I think. And, and I, I learned the value of getting up early. So I've been doing that since I would say late 20s. 
as a consistent habit. It's like every day, 4.35 a.m. typically, hit the gym and fill out my planner, do a little bit of meditation, just get my mind in the right place and then come to the office. But especially during wartime when you're scaling and growing and adding a lot of folks, that's when you know those extra hours during the morning are precious. That's when you can get a little bit of quiet and, and you can focus on some topics without getting distracted right after 8, 9 a.m. Forget about it. It's like game over almost, right? It's just meetings and calls and questions, et cetera. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. So yeah, so going back to motivational sales talk means fill up your own cup. So get yourself pumped up, get up early, get yes. a workout and review your own goals, how it aligns with your own vision. And then of course, really share that energy and make sure it's aligning with other people's vision and goals. And and I like what you said too, is that you don't you don't lead from the back of the line, you lead from the front. Say, all right, everyone, let's get to work today. And then to show that I'm here with you, I'm gonna take this first call of the day kind of thing. And and totally. Keep going with that attitude. I definitely believe in that. It's, I think it's called situational leadership, where you you lead based on the situation rather than oh telling people what to do or, or things like that. Like you want to show that you're willing to do whatever you're asking people to do. It sounds like one hundred percent. You can't hide in the corner office if you have a small startup and you're building a sales team. You got to be out there and doing it. I always refer to like one of my favorite movies, like. Braveheart with Mel Gibson, I painted it in the face and he's like, he's the first guy in the, in the lane of running towards the enemy, right? That's what gets people to follow you, in my opinion. So I think that's why I have so many endorsements and support from, from former employees. I've hired over a thousand reps in my last project alone. I worked a lot with, with Google and, and Microsoft channel sales team, enabled hundreds of agencies to resell services. And it always was embraced positively was like, hey, how do I do this? Let's call him up together. You know, let's jump on a call. Let's figure it out. You know, just that kind of uh, support and encouragement and on the call coaching, so to speak, something that motivates people a lot and, and makes you makes them want to follow you and, and give a little bit of extra to you and the company, I think. Yeah, let's talk about uh, working with Microsoft, Google, Facebook, like literally the biggest names, the biggest names. You know, I like the, you know, and for those listening in, it is a pretty good book, what I've read so far, like the story of how you were able to land yeah. Google as a client. You know, you just saw an amazing presentation and you didn't know you needed a presentation. So you acted like <laughs> you, never, <laughs> you did it on purpose where you didn't have a presentation ready, but you actually didn't have one ready. But regardless, uh, the question is, what does it take to work with companies like Microsoft and Google? Uh, I haven't gotten that book, how you even got to that room in the first place. Like, do you have to work with smaller companies then bigger companies work your way up? Can you go straight, quote unquote, whale hunting? We can work with Google right out of the gate. Like, what does it take to work with big companies like that? Yeah. Obviously, I only have my own experiences and what I've heard from uh, my network, et cetera. In my scenario, it was that we were at hyper growth, right? We had strong, we niched down extremely and just say, we're just going to sell Google ads the first couple of years. So that focus, you know, really made us skyrocket in one category. So very quickly, we got on the radar. I think when we were solicited by them, the first time our account manager said like, you're the fast, the third fastest growing agency out of like 15,000 plus this quarter. Did you know that? I was like, wow, holy shit. So, and so I think it's, it's obviously demonstrating, you know, standing out from the crowd, providing sales. Obviously you got to follow their agenda <laughs> and, and generate revenue for them in that sense. And then it's to some extent also a, a portion of luck. Like that scenario that I described in the book was that since we were based in Nicaragua, its high staff was fully bilingual. We had a lot of former, it was U.S. citizens who had chosen to move back to the country to stay with the family or so forth, lower cost of living. So they were fully, they were Americanized culturally. 
when we were selling, we had the ability to sell basically multi-language targeted campaigns. So I could solicit you as an advertiser and say, hey, you're doing great at Google, position one, XYZ, you're focused in Florida. Did you know there's 4 million US Hispanics in Miami alone, right? Why don't you create translated campaigns, emotionally, culturally connect with them, differentiate yourself from the crowd, get lower CPCs, high return, et cetera. So they kind of like that pitch. At that point, U.S. Hispanics, if not still, was the fastest growing demographic was 60 million plus or something like that. So they wanted to really penetrate. So that was like just sheer luck. So our account manager at Google says, hey, are you situated in Nicaragua because of this is your focus? And I was like, hell yes, that's why. And fast forward a couple of weeks later, like I put in the book, I was invited to, to speak at a Hispanic a marketing focus, Hispanic audience at Google about how to penetrate that opportunity. They wanted to get insights from some of the leading agencies on how they did it. And that's the, that's the given scenario where I was fortunate to come up and, and uh, maybe uh, uh, some luck in disguise that I didn't know I had to have a presentation. <laughs> yeah. So instead, I just uh, winged it a little bit and, and told them about our experiences, how it actually worked and the, the feedback we got, how people reacted to the pitch, what were the particular challenges and opportunities that I saw and how we together in collaboration could work. So I think those organizations like that, big organizations, right? Amazon, Microsoft, SAP, Google, their predominant revenue driver is typically channel sales. I've, I've seen that with my first, with my own eyes. And they have big organizations. They're basically equipped with enabling other companies to sell their solutions and products. So as long as you align with their agenda and you have good intentions and you, you, you adapt with their best practices, certifications and, and recommendations, and they go all in, you can get tremendous support. So for us, it was an opportunity because all of a sudden, we were the 22nd premier S&P partner in, in U.S. out of tens of thousands of companies. And the rest was all these big media conglomerates and public traded companies and news networks that, that got the opportunity. We were like a small little shop, so to speak, in comparison to them. So it was basically our opportunity to we basically skyrocket in growth afterwards because of that nomination and that extra level, level of support. And then we started working with them. And what I figured out very quickly was, for instance, like Ben Tyson, the global head of sales enablement at Google is now a friend, I would say, because we worked so closely together for many years. He wrote the foreword for my book. And I learned him because he basically flew out to all marketing agencies with Google to train their staff on how to sell. And, you know, when, when he came to us, he said, like, normally I visit agencies and they're like, yeah, okay, come in, talk. And the reps are sitting. We rolled out the red carpet. You know, it's like, welcome. This is the, the guru himself. What can you teach us? We're here. We're here with our notepads. We're, we're writing down and I was involved and it was like, let's get everybody to do it. Everybody got homework and we showed up the next day. So they, he went back to Google and said, these guys, they're just crushing it. They're motivated. They're determined. Like we should support them extra because then, you know, we could have one hell of a reseller. So I, I think that's, that's at least what worked for us back then. And there's something, yeah, I would recommend if you want to take that path. So just so I understand. So how did you get? Oh, so yeah, so you had sold your, or you were done selling the yellow pages. You had made your millions from that and you got the opportunity to sell Google ads, but had Google hired you to do it at that point? You just decided to start your own agency to randomly sell Google ads. At that point. <laughs> it was extremely random, my friend. I had been selling radio advertising for Radio Energy. I was partner and media direct, sales director for the Danish division, but we were a small player, number five in Denmark, right? It was not that people, companies were eager to talk with us. And I was selling into the media agencies and I was like, Gary, get, you know, yes, get in line. We'll call you if it's relevant. So 
broadcast offline. This is what online was already taking off. And every single conversation I had was always like, yeah, I had to renew an annual agreement. It was like, we're allocating more budget towards Google or whatever it may be on the platform. So I was like, I got to shift direction here. So when the opportunity came to invest in Igrog or build a sales team there, bilingual people targeting US, I was like, we got to, we got to, we got to jump on this wagon. But I knew very little about Google back then. This is 2010. I even put in my book, I was sitting there on reading at Google AdWords for dummies, right? Where I quickly realized yeah. this is going to go bad. <laughs> so we were fortunate to partner up with my former partner, a good friend, Andrew, who had just written a book on, on Google ads. I, I had the opportunity to make him as an acquaintance back in Copenhagen, Denmark. So I basically just cold called him and said, Hey, Andrew, what are you up to? He was living in, in Malta back then in Europe and I started his own little agency. And long story short, I said, like, why don't you jump on a plane? I'll pay all expenses. Come over here. Hit this little consulting project that we need you involved in. And he flew over there. And like a week later, it was like, yeah, we need you all in here. You need to sell. You still need to stop that agency and go all in, but we can give you some shares and equity and get all on board. So he was that missing part of the equation so that we very quickly could accelerate our, our product knowledge. And then. Myself, in order to understand and learn the product, I was basically working as an account specialist, sitting there creating, optimizing accounts just to, you know, wrap my head around all these technicalities and how to position it effectively and communicate with the customers to retain them. So that was kind of the journey in that sense. Uh, yes. So it's uh, to some extent. Yeah. Opportunity meeting luck. And it sounds like, so you learned how to watch out for industry trends. So when you're in the radio advertising, people kept saying, Google ads, Google ads, you're like, what the heck is that? And then after looking into it, you're able to jump on the wagon. And then, then because you're a top Google ad salesman, you started working with Google. Okay. That, that makes sense. So just like the importance of keeping, yes. keeping out for opportunities and what's next in the future. And I'm sure we'll get into talking to AI tools in this interview. I'm not sure how uh, quote unquote caught up you are with that, seeing how you're, you're visionary, that kind of stuff. So, and then uh, the other question is, so once you started working with Google, you know, in the book, in 12 Rules of Life by uh, Jordan Peterson, he talks mm -hmm. about, you know, in the lobster world, the toughest part is always getting to the top. But then once you're at the top, everything is easier for that. So, the, of course, once you get hired by Google and you do well for them, was it, quote unquote, nice to get all those dominoes knocked down to them, work with Microsoft, Facebook and all these other big companies? Like, is that how that worked for you as well? Yes, it they definitely gave us a catalyst that we grew exponentially. But, you know, the way it worked in terms of getting all the support accreditation is that, like I mentioned, having a partnership with these big tech giants, companies, basically a reseller. They look at you like a sales agent. So you have a, you get a lot of support, but you have to set targets and, and grow at a certain growth rate year over year. In our case, it was like 60% year over year for several after we had already grown to, to thousands of clients. Wow. That's not something you do easily. So at one point, we almost went bankrupt because we were so invested in growth, right? That that cash flow became an issue. Like we had all these stringent requirements to grow 60% and it was harder and harder to get. At that point, I think we were like 70, 70 cold callers I had and 15 closers on, on one floor and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on generating leads. At that point, things start best practices and stuff start falling through the cracks and it becomes difficult to attain the same level of efficiency. So on our end, really what was our, our savior in that sense was that we pivoted out of necessity. I was the CEO of the company up until that point for six years and chose to st step down. Basically, I had the idea of creating a channel sales program instead. 
because going to these Google and Microsoft conferences every three months, you know, we, we were on the radar of a competition and a few of them had already solicited me and got aware that, you know, we were situated in Nicaragua. So our cost of labor was like pennies on the dollars versus our, our US peers, our competition. So some of them that were ahead of the, the game sales wise, maybe didn't have capacity to fulfill all the demand. It was like, could we make a partnership agreement? I was like, a partnership agreement. Never really thought about it from that angle. So I proposed it to our, our board of directors, my, my partners uh, at that point as a, as a way for us to get out of the hole and survive as a company. I mean, yeah, at that point, I think we were eight figures already and they didn't really believe who's going to execute it, how we're going to do it, et cetera. So I went back, as I put in my book with the MVP kind of model, we didn't have the solution, but I had a very clear idea of what they wanted. So I broke it down into like a, a couple of pages, the concept, wrote it down, how it positioned, how the reporting would look like, the customer support, the pricing, what would the margins be for upsell, what kind of sales enablement would be included, everything that I sort of like had a good idea. And then I just start calling out, right? We didn't have the product solution. And I worked with our back then C- COO, like a little bit in undercover, so to speak. And then I came to the next uh, board meeting with a contract for a reseller agreement for like 25 clients that we would fulfill for somebody else. And it was like, here, here's the contract, here's the money. Now let's create the solution. Let's create the product. There's demand and our proven it can be sold. So that's when then my former partner stepped in as a CEO to take care of the business and run it. And I then went in to create that, that part of the channel sales program and went all in in that sense. And we grew very fast, onboarded like 200 resellers in, in just a couple of years because we had a very good solution offering. We already had a strong market reputation. And I, as a seller, again, understand your clients in detail. I've just been six years CEO for a big agency, hundreds of employees, thousands of clients. I knew what kept them up at night, you know, thinking about churn and employee attrition and how we're going to car customers and the cost. But I would know, I would knew the pain points in detail. So I could very quickly unwrap like the need and provide a solution that catered to their specific city situation. So again, back to sales one on one fundamentals. That's the recipe, so to speak. No, I, I love that. That, that makes uh, so much sense. Just like constantly be finding value, finding the opportunities, closing the next deal, and just yeah, understand to keep know your clients and keep it keep pivoting and adjusting too. When you yes. <laughs> you're like we're spending hundreds of thousand dollars and it's not working, we we can't just uh, do this forever. So <laughs> I, I love that you're always looking to improve. So a good question I had lined up as well. I, I think it's a good question. If you're talking to a business owner, and obviously you have, you have your whole book to help explain this, but to kind of give us a kind of sneak peek, summarize, I guess, trailer of a blueprint to put together. If you had to start from scratch, I, don't know, I still need to watch those episodes of where apparently like Grant Cardone is still in the middle of nowhere and he has to make money from scratch. <laughs> I've heard have of those. Heard, yes. Have you yeah. heard of those? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't so seen you, it either. <laughs> so if you were thrown into a, a small town in, uh, let's say, um, you know, in Arkansas and uh, you have to learn and you have uh, nothing to your name, no one knows who you are, how confident would you be in going from zero to 1 million in six to 12 months if you're starting from complete scratch and you're thrown in a random town in the middle of nowhere? I'm quite confident because I think, again, the learnings, right? Accumulated learnings over 25 years and standing on the shoulders of, of other giants that I've learned so much from at all these great organizations, partners, employees, et cetera, just gives you that edge on how to penetrate a new market or new, a new opportunity. And it's like I put in my book, it's a journey. It's a process, right? You can't just slap together an offer and, and go to market, try to get some funding, see how it works. 
you have to do proper research, right? You have to understand every single thing about your customer. Demographics, firmographics, psychographics. You need to do mystery shopping. I typically encourage you need to understand your competition, how they're positioning the offer and how you can stand out for the crowd. Again, are you a blue ocean kind of strategy company, a red ocean, right? And then shape your offer from there and then figure out where's your angle and how can you penetrate? Then obviously putting forth the work, doubling down, getting the, the right framework in place, figuring out is it direct sales, channel sales, which sales model, building out a sales plan getting hires, getting a sales manager, setting up stuff like sales operations. I put a strong emphasis in my book to sometimes underappreciated, non-prioritized. But just if you're looking for, for documentation, establishing process that you then can put a layer of automation on top of and then replicate success across the teams, sales operations is key, right? So getting them integrated to the equation and then figuring out what's your most cost effective acquisition strategies, right? Not just follow the rest, say, Hey, this company is very successful. They're doing XYZ. That may not be the right way to go into a crowded space and try to cut through the noise with a more compelling offer, a different angle. People don't necessarily react to that in that sense. So, and then when you start scaling, it's all about, I would say, Things such as aligning sales and marketing, right? I see that all the time with companies I work with, uh, creating unified KPIs and metrics that incentivize the same behavior. That you're not one department is pushing for MQLs, another one is just trying to close deals, but simply just align everything. If you're producing block content, your content strategy is something that enables sales to close more deals. Is do they have all the right collateral to throughout your sales journey to for for them to uh, close at a, at a higher rate, at a faster pace, and at a with higher average deal size, right? So getting to that point is also critical. That's really when you can start scaling things. And then that's when you can add a layer of technology. You can start outsourcing, creating partnerships, leveraging countries and other companies, other markets to create synergies, et cetera. So again, taking it from zero to a million, I think that's a lot of hustle. That's yourself. That's just, you know, putting, getting, getting your grid on and, and standing on, on the shoulders of getting some mentorship and then go to work, but then going from 10 million that requires that extra layer. And then obviously going to hundred million, that processes in a whole different company. It's a beast, so to speak, compared to, to that. So it's, it's like three different journeys. You could almost say in that sense. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love you talked about too, that your, your confidence that even if you, ha- you went bankrupt, no one knew your name and uh, you were thrown in the middle of nowhere that you're like, oh yeah, I could definitely get uh, zero to a million dollars in six to 12 months because I have the skill sets. I have the mindset. I have the tenacity. I know how to spot patterns. I know how to do market research, sales research, adapting things. Real quick, you mentioned knowing the difference between when you're in a red ocean, a blue ocean, and for those who haven't read the book, Blue Ocean, it's essentially finding an opportunity where clients only want to work with you and no one else. It sounds like you're okay working in a red ocean, essentially. So the, the question is, how do you navigate being in a red ocean? Is it okay to be in a red ocean or do you still always prefer to be in a blue ocean? I would obviously prefer to be in a blue ocean. I typically operate in red ocean. Maybe I haven't been the most creative when it comes to establishing business ideas or creating a product, et cetera. But I think that's how I learned to do the hustle. But that's a completely different game. You know, that's brutal, right? It's shock infested waters. That's why it's so red. Mm-hmm. The blue ocean, what I'm trying to do now, for instance, in, in, and I have a couple of different projects, but, you know, for instance, we have a marketing agency, a growth accelerator. We focus a lot on B2B, but also addiction treatment and mental, mental health care industry because I, I got invested into that category. So kind of, knew the vertical. And what I learned again with my spotting patterns was like, you got 
a lot of companies that's great at, at marketing and generating leads and so forth. But then, you know, sometimes those leads fall through the cracks because you don't have the right systems in place or technology to enable quick responses, high activities and replicating those best practices. And sometimes you can have both of those things added to the equation, but that sales sucks, right? There's not the right processes in place, scripts, people not doing demos the right way. So what I try to do with this recent project Elevate that I'm working with is to have both demand generation, CRM optimization or tech enablement, and then also sales process architecting. So it's like, okay, let's help you throughout the whole journey. Because if I'm to guarantee an incremental ROI, I need to make sure that I'm supportive in the entire customer journey process in terms of revenue optimization. So I'm trying to dwell a little bit into to Blue Ocean. Obviously, there's other companies that do it too, to some extent, but in the categories and niches that I chose, it's, it's limited. It's not as saturated. And I'm just trying to leverage my brand experiences and, and endorsements to get clients and help. And from there on, build, build a new, hopefully billion dollar company, maybe if, if we go the right No, direction. I love it. I lo- love the aspirations. And, <laughs> and obviously, being an angel investor is how you would help get there too. As an investor, and obviously, I'm sure you dive more into this book, but does a company need to be making a certain amount of money before they pitch to you? Or how do you know as an angel investor which companies to invest in? How's that success been? Like, are you right 80% of the time, 30% of the time as far as turning a profit? How do you help uh, determine those? I would say I'm not your classic angel investor. I don't think people should take financial advice or how to assess <laughs> companies on my experiences, just to put a disclaimer out there. <laughs> but what I try to do is look, I, I try to look at early stage companies. They've conceptualized, maybe they try to go to market. They have a great product, smart people behind the scenes. This is demand, but the go to market strategy just sucks. And, and that came to life like in my last project when I was building out the, this channel sales partner program. And we had to have a set of different technologies, everything for reporting to proposals, et cetera. And I started looking at so many like small players in the market. And I was like, why is, are they a small player compared to somebody else? They got the same product features, a great solution, even sometimes superior to the other one that's dominating the market. But I found out like, listen, I submit a contact form. It takes them three days to get back to me. The pitch is horrible. I'm basically selling the product for them. And so it's like, wow, does it do that too? And so forth. So I was just like, okay, that's the time opportunities I'm going to look at. Try to find those where I can apply my skill set, add resources, a framework, my incubator offices, et cetera. And then, you know, help them take the products overseas or expand in, in the markets they're already in. But I'm not your investor that goes in and looks at a balance sheet and financial statements and does a in-depth analysis and, and therefore goes in and look at returns based on, on the opportunity. That, I'm not that kind. <laughs> I'm more, you know, I come in and provide resources and a framework and a skill set, and then we can grow the company based on that. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, that's good to know. And, and uh, yeah, everyone has unique strategies. So that's definitely good to know. The next question is, how do you go about battling imposter syndrome when you're creating all the success for yourself, interacting with the top companies in the world, being able to be in a position where you're at, being in a penthouse in, uh, in Medellin, Colombia? How do you battle that imposter syndrome when that little voice goes, oh, you don't deserve this? Like, why, why do you think you can have all this and be happy? Like, how, how do you yeah, navigate that? Hmm. Good question. Good question. For me, I think it's about, I love what I'm doing now. And uh, I have a, a greater purpose that's tied up with my overall mission. What I'm trying to accomplish now is, is a stepping stone to my, my true calling. I would say what I want to work with more in depth. Uh, so I'm, I'm motivated in that sense. And I was thinking, like, I'm just a small fish. I'm not proven in any way. I'm, I'm good at what I do. 
in select categories. And I, if I could double down on that, I could create a difference and I stay true to it as well. So I'm not trying to proclaim that I'm the best angel investor or a accelerator or, or a finance guru or don't know a lot about AI and, and et cetera. But, but uh, there's a few things I do good and do really good. And that's what I stay true to. And then uh, I tie that up with a purpose. And that works for me, at least. And then try to stay humble at the same time. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, staying humble. And yeah, you mentioned AI tools. So I wanted to bring that up. Obviously, tools are very important to any business. What are some... Are you up to date on any AI tools you could recommend to the audience how to help them succeed and thrive? I'm not that well-versed. I mean, I'm, I'm a novice chat GPT user. And we use it for like maybe five, six tedious tasks internally. We, we apply it. I'm still learning, experimenting a lot, but I think I'm in a situation where I'm basically involved in three projects right now. So I'm working around the clock. I don't have a lot of time to investigate and learn more. So I'm more dependent on some of my, my key team members to learn, look, look over the shoulder, see what they're doing and try to see, try to identify patterns to see what we can adapt. But, um, I'm very much in tune and I know it's, it's a game changer. It's basically going to be a huge transformation that. So I'm aware of it. I'm, I'm aware that I have to adapt. I have to embrace it. Otherwise I'm going to become a dinosaur within years, probably <laughs> or shorter time, probably. What tools helped you scale to the several hundred thousand or the million or 10 million? Like, can you give us some just quick tool examples of those that helped you the most? Was it like uh, Salesforce? Was it HubSpot? What, what kind of tools do you recommend just as basics, like must haves? Yeah. So I've, I've tried every, uh, most sales tools and, and marketing technology tools that's out there uh, because we had the fortunate situation of having thousands of clients and then resellers. So I could typically go out and negotiate good deals because of, you know, the economies at scale and say, Hey, if we have signed up 5,000 advertisers in this platform, what can you give me? And then go to the next one. I'm also in a very curious. I'm also a very curious person. And I mean that by typically if sales rep solicits me, I'll hear them out. I want to hear your pitch. And typically I take a demo just to educate myself on what's emerging and how it's evolving and comparing technologies to one another. So for me, I think especially on creating a sales framework that can scale, you know, we have in the beginnings like systems like these it was inside sales and sugar CRM and predictive dialers and this automated that was hot back then. Then we were actually, we were the first client that signed up for HubSpot Sales Serum. We were at the inbound wow. conference in Boston and they announced it that back then. It was 2015 or 16. There was just marketing technology. And now we're rolling out a sales serum. And me and my former partner who ran marketing back then, we were so excited. We we're like, yeah, you could sign up a special program. We signed up. So I, we worked with that for a couple of years. Then we pivoted to Salesforce as well. But I think what really worked well for me was, for instance, the tool that I also work with now in several of my companies was, for instance, just adding the right technologies on, on top of Salesforce. So, for instance, uh, Outreach. I love Outreach.io. I knew that there's a lot of similar companies, technologies out there that really helped create efficiency and, and very, very effective personalized campaigns so that you could scale. So, you know, especially when we went into channel sales. And then there's a lot of uh, lead intelligence tools out there scrapers, etc. So I, I put a whole list in my book. It's chapter 13, the significance of technology as skills. And this is admittedly from back in 2020, but 2022, but I did a lot of research and I put in like uh, this five or six pages just with three, four bullet points in terms of my assessment of each technology and what I recommend. So I think just ability to scout, find the right leads, find the right pain points. Is it event-based selling? Is it based on certain technology that applies and correlates with your 
value proposition, personalizing your messaging with gathering all that information and then putting into a, a sales enablement platform, like for instance, outreach.com, outreach.io, and then accelerating sales from that. Then I would say also tools such as uh, simple stuff as just like how to provide proper presentations, right? So you're demonstrating your product in the most effective way. So there's a lot. It's too, there's too many to just highlight a few. I, w- I would refer back to my book again as for picking your winners, so to speak, for sales tech stack. No, that's still super helpful. So thank, thank you for sharing. All right, well, we have a few questions left and then uh, we'll wrap up here. You mentioned that you have a higher purpose and vision you're working on. Can you explain uh, what, what that is that you're currently working on at the moment? Yeah, so uh, I chose... To, I was back in this is 2020 when I sold the shares in my last company right before COVID. Fortunate to check out with some little bit of pocket change. I was about to invest it in like two smaller boutique addiction treatment boutique centers and mental health care focus because I had that very close to me in my life with some significant loved others that had struggled with those challenges. And I also saw the statistics. It was mind blowing in terms of how many people are struggling with mental health. One out of three Americans, if I'm not mistaken, at this point, especially post COVID but also the millions and the hundreds of millions of worldwide scale that are addicted to big pharma and opiates or everything that sometimes they just get hooked on by, by coincidence. For me, it, it's helping people get out of suffering. That's why I created the planner, for example, especially now in today's social media driven, you know, fake significant world, everybody portraying to be something that not really, at least in many events and and showcasing a happiness that maybe is, is not there, especially behind the scenes when you look at the statistics, is trying to break the norms and, and uh, roll out some of the learnings that I saw work for me. Because I work with a lot of smart, smart people that made a lot of money, very successful. And I also recently read a statistic, you know, it's common knowledge that only a, a few companies make it beyond a couple of years. 80% of companies cease to exist within two years, right? And what is it? Less than single digit of those remaining actually make it above a million dollars in annual recurrent revenue. But what's interesting is that the vast majority of those entrepreneurs, those founders that have struggled to have that level of achievement, nine out of 10 of those folks are depressed. They're suffering. They, they have some sort of addiction and so forth. And that I think is because you don't have the right coping mechanisms. You don't have the right tools. So for instance, the planner practicing thing like gratitude and simple things and trying to find some purpose and learn how to grow and also give by helping others in that sense. I think for me, that is, that's what life is all about. And for me, that's my purpose and how I can realize my next projects and that true potential by focusing on what I'm doing now. I love that. No, thank, thank you for sharing that. And just going back to, you. yeah, you're on a bigger mission, not just to make more money and, but also through great sales, but also help people in the process. Cause it is unfortunate. Yeah. One in three people struggle with mental health. I agree. It's a big issue. And thank you for helping to combat that. And so with that said, because you're also a generous person, those who don't know, Gary is actually offering complimentary zero to a hundred million books for those who are listening to this show, this episode. And so what you can do is go to garygarth.com and then you go to the section where it asks about shop and then you click zero to hundred million sales blueprint. And then from there, you can put in the promo code rapid results and you get a complimentary copy of the book. And so he's been endorsed by the head of channel sales at Amazon, director of partner program at Microsoft, people at Google you name it. So definitely, uh, I've, I've been enjoying the book so far. As we brought up throughout the interview, it's been very insightful. And even though I'm more 
B2C, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I do need to check out B2B more. But even then, even if I say B2B it's or B2C, it's still cool to learn the sales skills that can definitely apply to B2C. So I'm definitely enjoying the book. So with that said, as, as we wrap up, Gary, tell us what is one takeaway you want people to have from this interview today when it comes to scaling their business, doing sales, being tenacious, going after what they want. What's the and obviously you have that great motivational poster, give it all you got with Dennis Rodman. So maybe that's what you want to say too. <laughs> give but, it everything, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so yes. What is the one takeaway you want people to have from today's interview? Yes. Put sales first, right? If you have a great product idea or groundbreaking concept, you're going to market and you've done all the analysis in the world, you have all the right resources and funding make sure you put sales first, right? There's not a marketing agency out there that's going to crack the code and solve the situation for you. And at the same time, make sure that you get the right mentorship, the consultancy, that you get the right partnership in terms of enabling sales. If you put sales first, I always say I'd rather have a fulfillment problem than a sales problem. If I have sales, I have clients, I have revenue, I have cash flow, I can buy myself out of most problems and find solutions, experts to help me solve my challenges. The other way around, it doesn't really work like that. So put sales first, crack the code on that, put an equal effort into sales as you do. And I say that because of my experience, I'm still taking sales calls. I talk with companies, potential investments. We have hundreds of clients now in my minor and small agency. We work with smaller, bigger clients now at this scale. And I'm still baffled when I ask, like, again, when I go back to my book about top 25 KPIs that you need to know in your business, Right. I'm baffled how they don't know the questions to those answers. Like simple stuff for every 10 phone calls you get, how many of those convert? And what's your average deal size? What's the average sales cycle? Which percentage are you able to upsell, cross-sell? What's the predominant, most profitable revenue channel? And, and, and I get that also when I'm talking with CFOs of different companies. They, they can't answer that necessarily. And they're also trying to add that intelligence to the sales. So understand, get the data, right? Get the numbers and understand how you're going to go to market. Put sales first and then skyrocketing growth. It's not some phenomenal that nobody can do. It's simply just hard work, grit, and focus. And then, then it's possible. I love it. Well, thank you again, Gary. How can people best get a hold of you and contact you if they want to learn more or, and learn more about you and connect with you? Yeah, I'd love to connect, network, expand my circle, create partnerships, etc. So hit me up at garygoth.com, my website. There's contact information there. Go to LinkedIn. I'm very active there as well. I have a YouTube channel. You can visit me there. Instagram for that matter. Whichever your channel of a preference, I'm standing by and I always personally reply. I look forward to to getting feedback from everybody, especially if you acquire the book, one of the concepts that works for you, please let me know. I loved getting those small little success stories. That fuels me every day when I get a little uh, testimonial, somebody who did it, applied, and that worked and that they grew. That does it for me. So uh, would love to hear from anybody. Please reach out. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been such a blast, Gary. Thank you for coming on today, sharing your wisdom, sharing your expertise, helping us to have more rapid results and uh, accomplish success faster. And uh, for those tuning in, we look forward to seeing you all for the next episode and we'll see you all then. Thank you, everyone. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.